Prestige heads and welcome to American Prestige. I'm Danny Bessner here as always with Derek Davison. And we are excited to be joined once again by Mean Gene Bajalan. Gene is an associate professor at Missouri State University and an expert on Kurdish history. And this is another uh, episode in our series on the Kurds. So Gene, thanks again for joining us, man. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to be with you all. It is a pleasure. You're welcome. So let's start at World War II, which is about where we got to last time. Uh, And specifically, we're going to focus on Turkey and the Kurds in this episode. So Gene, start where you'd like. Yeah, sure. So obviously, you know, when we think of the history of the world, World War II is a critical moment, you know, in the trajectory of, you know, world affairs. But of course, I think as we covered last time for the Middle East in particular and the Kurdish question specifically, World War I is more important because obviously it led to the division of the Kurdish people. And basically within each part of Kurdistan, Turkey, Syria, uh, Iran, Iraq, the trajectory of Kurdish politics uh, was different and was largely confined to you know, the politics of the country within which the Kurds we're living. So we see this kind of separate paths for the Kurdish movement. Now, with regard to Turkey specifically, you know, we talked last time about the rebellions of the 1920s and 30s. You have the establishment of the Republic of Turkey. You have Mustafa Kemal coming to power, who, you know, really he's operating a kind of Bonapartist state where he has elements of the left, elements of the right that support him. And, you know, the, the Kurdish question is a perennial problem for the state, which the state basically opts for a military solution. We see the repression of the Sheikh Said rebellion, and we see the repression of the Ararat revolt and the repression of Dersim all during the 1920s and 30s. Now, the character of the Kurdish movements during this period was an interesting one in that it uh, to varying degrees, you know, with varying, varying different balances within each of the Kurdish rebellions, united Kurdish intellectuals who were alienated by the, you know, uh, uh, assimilationist policies uh, um, uh, put forward by the Turkish state, the repression of Kurdish language, culture, etc., and then also tribal elements that were angered by attempts at centralization, the secularization of the political system, and other kind of uh, issues related to that. And the Turkish state is aware of this, although, you know, there is a tendency, especially on the Turkish left, to see, you know, the Kamala state as a revolutionary state. It was a very pragmatic state. And what we see, especially in the late 30s and early 40s, is a, a, a more decisive conservative shift in Turkish politics, particularly with regard to Kurdistan, where... In the Kurdish region, basically the state makes peace with the indigenous feudal elites, the indigenous tribal elites. There's a kind of contradiction inside the Kemalist uh, nationalist project. On one hand, it has this kind of Jacobin revolutionary elan of 
you know, transformation, Europeanization, Westernization, centralization. But at the same time, it is deeply concerned with social stability. And the result of the pretty heavy-handed policies that it adopted towards the Kurds uh, was rebellion. So in addition to the military repression, we also see the, the Turkish state basically working with tribal elites. So that's where we are in the Second World War. The Kurdish movement in Turkey is largely suppressed through military means, but also through um, policies that begin to favor the feudal elites that dominated Kurdish society. So that's kind of where we start. Now, I guess to really understand the Kurdish question in the post-World War II era, we have to talk a little bit about the trajectory of Turkish politics in general. You know, the Kurdish movement...